Welcome everyone to the Pearls of Biblical Wisdom podcast ministry. The hymn that was just playing is called, The Lord's Our Rock, In Him We Hide. He's a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. The uh, theme and the emphasis of this particular podcast from Isaiah 40 is God's greatness and how he meets us in our weariness. And that's why we picked out this particular hymn. Jesus is a rock in a weary land. And so as we begin uh, this time together, I'd encourage every one of you, we can't read uh, the whole chapter of chapter 40. It's very long. But I would encourage every one of you to take time to read the chapter, if you can, uh, before or after the podcast, because the Holy Spirit can uh, reveal things to you far exceeding anything that we will share in just a particular hour of time. And he, he may speak to you about something we don't necessarily speak about in this podcast. So please, this is coming from Isaiah 40, and we encourage you to read that. And I'm so glad to have David uh, Gillette with me today. He's going to uh, go over an overview of Isaiah 40 and then give a little a biographical background about himself. And David, welcome. It's good to have you here. We've been working on this about two or three months now prayerfully. and We have. Yeah, yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, God's finally uh, allowed this to come to pass, and so we thank him for it today. So what's your overview of this chapter, David? Yeah, the, the background of of how we even landed on Isaiah 40 is this was a, a sermon series that, that we were going through at church and it had been multiple weeks um, during the middle of the summer and, and, and dad and I had been talking one Sunday afternoon around lunch just about, and I think the reason it was impactful to me, um, the idea of God meeting us in our weariness resonates because life is hard. And I'm weary. Um, so ra- rather than try to go through the whole chapter like Dad was talking about, the, the main point that stuck out to me or one of my main takeaways from the series is Isaiah 40 starts with God talking about comforting his people, comfort, comfort my people, and ends the chapter with a, the famous verse of, of those with renewal. Those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. And yet, as you look through the entire rest of the chapter, it's not instruction on how to do that. It's not um, talking about how to make yourself better. What are the seven steps towards comfort or how can I achieve this? It is all focused almost primarily on God, who God is, how big he is, what his salvation looks like, his strength, his power. And so the, the key takeaway there is, the true comfort that we can expect to receive is not the way the world talks about it of focus on yourself, look inside, figure out who you are. It is look at God, look at his greatness. And as you have a better and accurate picture of who God is, that puts you in perspective. And at that point you can actually get to, you can begin to receive true comfort from the Lord rather than trying to manufacture it yourself. Yeah, that kind of ties in with the, the middle of the chapter where he talks about uh, a time where they were turning to idols. Mm-hmm. It kind of ties in with what you're saying, David, uh, in so many different ways uh, when we're trying to figure life out and uh, try to find out how life is supposed to work. We turn to things other than God. We turn to things other than the Bible. And we don't find satisfaction we don't find relief. It's it's vanity. You know, the, the Bible says the eyes of man are in the ends of the earth, constantly searching, constantly searching, constantly searching, but never really finding what they need. And what David just explained is, it's, it's right in the middle of this chapter also in Isaiah 40. In verse 9, to me it's the key verse to the whole chapter the way David just explained it. Behold your God. 
Mm-hmm. That's the key right there. Behold your God. Have you taken time? Do you take time to think about God, to think about eternity, to think about spiritual realities? And is your mind totally occupied with the temporal? You know, is your uh, trying to figure things out totally occupied with your own mind instead of uh, divine revelation from God? So this is how we're beginning this. Uh, the whole chapter is filled with the greatness of God. That's why we came up with the God's greatness in the in the midst of our weariness, mm-hmm. because we never find the comfort that's mm-hmm. mentioned in the first verse. If we don't see the greatness of, all through this chapter, it reveals about God. So, mm-hmm. so David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I, I am married into the Cook family almost 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years in January, but probably an adopted son before that. Um, so married to Bethany. We've got, we've got three kids, six, four, and two. So we are uh, right in the the early stages of parenthood. Um, I work full time. And so part of what you were talking about with, with how to focus on God, I'm excited or looking forward to talking through maybe part of my journey and a practical way of what that looks like to, to have and spend time focusing on the Lord in the midst of the busyness of life. And how to do that practically. The way this podcast came about about two years ago, two, maybe two and a half years ago, uh, was a, a burden that I had for home, family, marriage, and particularly fathers. Uh, because uh, if a father's heart is turned to his sons and daughters and sons and daughters' hearts are turned to their father, uh, God promises in his word, that's what will keep the curse back. That's what, the curse won't be able to continue upon the land when that is in place. And when I, David and I were talking, as he mentioned, he was here at the house, uh, and I heard his burden of what uh, he was seeing in Isaiah 40. It kind of all tied into the whole reason why this podcast got started. So that's why I'm so excited for him to share what's in his heart and him and I have talked about, uh, this is um, heart-to-heart communication here. Uh, we're not uh, perfectly there by no stretch of the imagination, any of us, as far as our walk with God. Uh, hopefully somewhere along the lines, being on the front line of the battlefield, we soldiers can help each other and encourage each other, admonish each other, and sometimes rebuke each other. Hmm. Uh, in this battle because we need it. We need that accountability. I'm sure David's going to talk about some of that as we we get into this. Right. Yeah. So David, uh, all of our points are built around God's comfort. As the first verse says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And so let's look at our uh, first point here, God's comfort and understanding purpose in life. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. From a from a very practical perspective, I think it's safe to look around and say that lack of purpose, or maybe the flip side, anxiety, is on the rise. Mm. There's lots of studies that have talked about what the reason for that is. I mean, you could tie it to something as, as recent as what's happened with the pandemic and how that's just had major shifts with lifestyle. There's major social factors like breakdown of marriage, political strife. But at the end of the day, I think the the core, if I look at for myself, what my tendency is, if you turn from God, you basically are turning from meaning into despair because what you're seeking after is temporal. As you said, it's temporary. It's not permanent. So one of the things that you talked about earlier was like spending time with the Lord. And it, it made me think back to, so I attended the Evangelical Institute mm. two years there, focused mm. time, seeking after the Lord, trying to work on your, or not just work on, like grow your relationship. And as part of that time, you get into a routine because it's, it's forced mm. of waking up, having a quiet time, having mm. prayer time. And as I was going through that, I just assumed like, this is the norm. This is what I will 
sort of do for the rest of my life, and then got into the workforce, married, started having kids, and you suddenly have to make a decision. Waking up at 6 a.m. for me to to spend the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, hour, or whatever I had allocated at, at a Bible school, suddenly doesn't become practical. The demands of life feel like they're creeping in. And there is a sense of me questioning, well, is this still a priority to me, or am I doing this right? And I think I, where I wanted to go with that, it was not the discipline of me waking up and spending a long chunk of time seeking the Lord that was somehow making me worthy to God or a better believer. But there's patterns throughout your everyday life. Like life has to be lived in a spirit of worship, and it's not the first hour that dictates who you are as a believer. And that's not something that I feel like I've got my hands around completely. We're going through a book, part of our small group with through churches, that the guys are going through a book called Habits of the household, and the idea behind this is you're practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. And it's opened up my eyes in some practical ways to think through we all have patterns of life that are going to lead us in one direction or another. Why not make these intentional and find ways to invite God into your day as something as simple as how you wake up in the morning or how you do mealtimes together or how you do Bible time in the evenings as a way to encourage someone. Devotional time, quiet time, if that's what you want to call the Lord, is vital and important because God communicates truth through his word. But life is also lived in the everyday moments. And us, we as believers have to figure out how to live a life of worship rather than a quiet time of worship. Because I think that's, at least for myself in this moment, mm-hmm. I would feel like a failure if I only measured my spiritual walk by... How often am I getting up and spending a lot of time with Jesus? Yeah. So, yeah. One of the things I noticed as a father with 10 children and all the challenges that goes, I mean, no matter whether you have one child or 10, it's, it's a challenge when being a parent, being a father. And right. like David's saying, there's many interruptions, many things you don't anticipate. And the scripture I thought of, David, as you were just sharing that is in Deuteronomy, it says, teach these things to your children. Hmm. You know, when they rise up, when they walk by the way, and when they lie down, it's not just one appointed time. It's all the time. Just about the time you think God's nowhere to be found in the chaos of the family life situation, there's great opportunities to teach your children something about the Lord or even for you to learn something about the Lord as a father. So that's the kind of thing. It's a way of life Mm -hmm. in grafting God's word and worship and teaching and disciple not like a okay i've had my time with the family and the word of god right well there were many times after i had time with the family and the word of god five minutes later we had major fights and all that stuff going on and i said i just talked about peace in our time with the lord yeah so we're on the battlefield here yeah soldiers on the battlefield and uh, we're we're wrestling not against uh, flesh and blood yeah. We need to keep that in mind as fathers. Our prayer life and constantly in all these challenging situations of life, go to God in prayer with it because we don't know how to handle it many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and another thought on the kids aspect or children, because my experience is it having children has revealed more about my heart than, it, I mean, obviously I'm, my kids have a sinful nature. They're young. None of them have accepted Jesus yet. Mm. So they are sinners. I can attempt to try to control their actions, but at the end of the day, until they have a renewed heart, they're not, they're not going to have a desire. And so, but what I see through that is when something happens and I sense frustration in my heart or anger at something, ultimately what that is showing me is what's actually in my heart, mm-hmm. and they are just the tool to expose yeah. it at the time. Yeah, amen. So whatever they're doing that drives me to feeling frustrated yeah. or angry is exposing what's actually in my heart, and now it's just, mm-hmm. now I have to see it and deal with it. And mm-hmm. so having kids, yeah, I have three. I don't know. I don't know how you had, <laughs> had ten and kept it all straight. So yeah. well, lots of sanctification, it sounds yeah. like. You know, purpose in life, how does that re- relate here, David, uh, yeah. as far as uh, purpose in life and, and a man trying to find his way through life, whether it be his job or his home or a father, family situation, 
just reality, just mm-hmm. trying to find reality. What is reality? What What's your thoughts on uh, on this purpose and life point here? I think, well, I know it's God created us for a purpose. Purpose is built into man, and it's evident if you look around the world that they are trying to push what your purpose should be, whether that is success, whether that is wealth or accumulation, whether that's control or recognition, power, and all of those feel and sound attractive. I don't think you can talk about our purpose without obviously going back to the to the gospel mm-hmm. and recognizing that God created us in his image. We fell, but he had a plan to redeem us. And so our only, it doesn't mean that we won't, I mean, certainly we live and work in the workforce, like we live in this world. Our purpose, what God has for us is built into everyday life. But especially what's communicated in this chapter is our purpose has to be entwined in seeing who God is, understanding his greatness, his power, and then living from that perspective rather than me trying to set the definition of David will be this and accomplish this because I'll never be able to live up to that. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. that's empty. You know, when I got saved, when I was 18 years old, I'm 69 years old now, so much further down the pathway of life. The man that shared the gospel uh, with me, he asked me, do you know that God has a plan for your life? Well, I knew I had a lot of plans for my life, and none of them were working very good. And so he said, you can't experience that plan for your life because of sin, but God in his love and mercy and grace provided a way for the sin problem to be taken care of through his son's dying in your place and in my place mm-hmm. and to make forgiveness of sin possible justly because it's been justly paid for by the sinless Son of God. And so I received the Lord Jesus. I believed on the Lord Jesus that day for salvation. I was 18 years old, but from 16 to 18, I had gotten into all kind of worldly uh, stuff, going down the wrong pathway. I was basically trying to find my purpose in life in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, I began to understand, uh, you know, God's got a plan. I need to look to him to find out how to work out that plan. One day when I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I was there for two years as an associate pastor. I sit down with a a lawyer. He said, "Uh, yeah, I've got all that stuff you just talked about, the power, the money, Mm -hmm. uh, the position, the nice lifestyle, the success. He said, but I'm bored. It speaks to the point here. It's all temporal. It doesn't get to the soul and the spirit of what our our real need in the innermost part of our being. So here's a man that was way ahead of me as far as material, earthly, temporal things, but he didn't understand his purpose in life. And it's like vanity of vanities, you know, as it says in Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity if you don't come to understand salvation through Christ and God's purpose and continue, as uh, you have said, it's a moment-by-moment moment abiding in Jesus Christ. The moment we don't abide in his life, then we're going to fail as a father or whatever we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. The message today is you figure out what your truth is, what your reality is. Mm. You know, focus on the environment around you, your surroundings. Mm. And that gives the idea that truth is fluid, that reality is fluid, and... But it's important to call that out mm-hmm. as being false. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because if if truth is fluid, then there's nothing to stand on. Yeah. And I think that leads yeah. into yep. one of the points, or maybe this next point that you're going to mm-hmm. talk through. Let me make one more point about purpose in life. Sure. Paul said in Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, he had fought a good fight, he had finished his course, he had kept the faith. He understood God's purpose for his life, and he was able to identify towards the end of his life something of God's purpose is being worked out here. The Lord Jesus, when he was 12, I mean, talking about children and sons and daughters in the home, when he was 12 years old, he said, I must be about my heavenly father's business. And so even a child at beginning somewhere in the age of 12, somewhere in that uh, age span, can begin to understand 
the purpose uh, God has for them, you know, at that early age. But you can go through your teen years and get into college and never have worked that out or thought that out. Hmm. You know, that God's got a purpose for your life. Mm -hmm. And that's why some men have to catch up, you know, with what's really the important reality of life because you're searching in other areas of trying to find purpose in life and it comes up with emptiness and vanity. And if you acknowledge that, and it also comes up with corruption and confusion, if you acknowledge that and then humble yourself, as you said about your children recognizing their sinfulness before God, then like what happened when I got saved, I was able to understand God's uh, calling, God's mm -hmm. purpose for my life. I was actually going to ask you a question about that. Sort of jogged my memory. Like I'm going through a program at church called Regeneration, which at the core root of it, it is helping you identify sinful patterns, turn away from them. And one large step of that was trying to identify idols, like habits or idols from your past. So you talked about when you got saved and, and, try, and having to turn away from mm -hmm. sinful patterns. Mm -hmm. What does that work look like to try to go back and understand, like, what were the root issues that so like anger for example is typically a, mm -hmm. a secondary issue mm -hmm. there's a deeper issue mm -hmm. that then you then respond out of anger mm -hmm. either sure. to try to mask or protect or to you know yeah. push the blame somewhere else what's your experience been with how you go in and try to figure out like mm. what were the root issues and the root issue i think that i began to deal with we think we have the right to have the final say it's our life we have the right to have the final say. But as long as we have the right to have the final say, we're going to make a mess of things. And that's what was going on with my life. I was choosing to do what I wanted to do. Nobody shoved anything into my mouth to put into my body. I decided to put it in my body and very foolishly could have been killed or died when, when I did it. Mm -hmm. But when I received the Lord Jesus Christ, I came to understand I need to exchange my life for his life. I can't live my life for him. He's got to live his life through me. And I've got to stop leaning on my own understanding and making my own decisions. If I believed on him as the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he has the final say in my life. So I began to respond to the Lordship of his authority, knowing that his life was sinless. Hmm. He overcame every evil, every temptation. He overcame every adversity of where, when he could have been angry or bitter. And if I would humble myself and yield myself to his authority, his, his life instead of my own life, pride basically is the problem. Pride is reserving the right to have the final say. That's one definition of pride. And that's what I was doing. Mm. But when I started yielding my life to letting the Lord Jesus have the final say, things began to turn around and move in the right direction. I was very introvert. I was very confused. I was, I didn't fit in with any social group of people anywhere. Uh, I just felt like, you know, I'm a total introvert. I was really lost inside of myself. But when I began to yield to the life of the Lord Jesus, he began to show me his purpose for my life. And as I, the more I yielded to him, the more the beauty of what he could do uh, be, began to come out. And he began to, um, like it says, I can do all things through Christ mm -hmm. who strengthens me. And also it says, for, for to me to live is Christ. So that's what happened with me. You know, dying to self, mm -hmm. dying to self. Sur and and not, it's not like I've ever done it perfectly. Like right. you know, I mean, it's still, still is, is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. It's always the same, dying to self. But the, every time we yield to the Lordship of Christ and the authority of the Word of God, we have spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual satisfaction. You know, there's a man, uh, Pascal, years ago, in 1600s, he said there's a... Um, a vacuum in a man's soul. Hmm. 
and in his spirit. And nothing can fill that vacuum that's in his soul and spirit but God mm-hmm. himself. And once you receive Christ and he's in your soul and in your spirit, then you begin to find satisfaction and sufficiency and purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shall we move on to God's comfort? Sounds good. And the word of God. So what's your thoughts on that point? It does say in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the word of our God shall stand forever. So in terms of absolute truth and absolute realities, where if we lean on man's philosophies and man's thoughts, it's all in evolving, constantly changing. How are you going to find reality when it's constantly changing? And, the, and evolution of man's thinking doesn't move you forward. It moves you backward. Mm-hmm. It brings about corruption. So we need to understand God's comfort and the word of God. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is inerrant. God's word is infallible. God's word is absolute truth. It never changes. God's truth in his word endures to all generations. If you want to find out what God says uh, about uh, any question of life, go to God's word because it's always the same for every generation. Nothing is evolving. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts there, David? Yeah, I think if we, um, like if you look verses 4, or excuse me, 6 through 8 in Isaiah 40, talking about the word of God standing forever. So starts out the chapter talking about comfort. And then all of a sudden we're talking about how all flesh is grass. Its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers, flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. It doesn't sound very comforting at that point. It shows us our weakness. But verse 8, the grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Mm. Like that's the perspective. I don't know if dichotomy is the right word there, but the perspective of, yes, the... 70, 80, however many years we have may feel like a long time right now in the grand scheme. Our life is short. And in the grand scheme, the word of the Lord stands forever. And so that has to be our foundation. Because if we're just looking to ourselves, or looking to the last 200 years at the trajectory, we've got nothing firm to stand on. It feels challenging to me to know how to not bring the Bible into everyday life. That's not what I'm trying to say. I guess I can just talk from a family perspective. I grew up, my parents were missionaries. One of the patterns of our household was having family devotions every evening. We would spend time either singing, reading the word, reading some sort of devotional. And growing up, I didn't always enjoy that. Like mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't necessarily understand the value. Mm-hmm. Um, now as an adult, the amount of scripture that I we memorized as a family, the amount of times we read through the Bible and that word being planted in my mind that God can bring back. Like, I see the value of that now. But there's a time when I think about how I'm leading myself and my wife and my kids and wanting to do that well. I think about how it's a habit that we, we have, we've established in our family as well, having a Bible time in the evening. And there's lots of times where I feel like I'm just reading a story to myself. I'm reading the word of God and mm-hmm. you know those three kids who are, they cannot wait until I'm done so that we can <laughs> right. do book time. They're right. more interested in the book that comes after the Bible right. rather than the Bible store we're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels discouraging mm-hmm. and it's like I, this is a habit that I want to establish because I see mm-hmm. the value in it and I know that these are the words of life like my kids needs they need the words of life to stand on not mm-hmm. not a book about Paw Patrol now, that's not going to change their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge is there in the everyday life of how do I fit this in? How do I make this real? How do I, mm. how am I standing on it? I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure you've got perspective. Oh, I, I had the same experience, same experience. I don't know if I want to do this time in God's word at seven o'clock in, every day in the morning. Right. That's when we did our time. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for kids to get up early for one thing. It's hard to stay awake once you do get up and then dad's, talking and talking and talking and they, they didn't have a whole lot to say 
And like I say, sometimes we'd dismiss, or before we would dismiss, we'd have all kind of carnal, challenging situations going on. You know, I think if a father stays the course, and this is why this is so important, a father, it talks about he should have faithful children. Well, part of what that means is, is a father teaching his children how to live by faith. That's part of what it means. Okay. Now, children will never learn to live by faith without the Word of God because faith comes by hearing mm-hmm. and hearing by the Word of God. And God says, my word will not return void. So at those times when we don't think they're listening or at those times when it just seemed like everything fell apart, it may be five years down the road or 10 years down the road that God brings that scripture that day back to sons and daughters' minds and it becomes a powerful reality of living by faith at that moment because they already had it. They already had it somewhere in their soul and spirit. And sometimes you go over the same scriptures a lot and you memorize scripture together like you were talking about. That's the best thing you can do is engraft the Word of God as a family together. And we've already talked about We're not just talking about a particular time. We're talking about as a way of life. You know, when you go to discipline your children, try to bring the Word of God into it. Why should we be kind one to another? Why should we not be selfish and, you know, bring a scripture into it? You and I talked about how can a father practically, right? practically, bring scripture in yeah that's one way you can do it discipline it was wrong what you did but you know daddy struggles with this also right and it tells both of us right here in god's word you know we shouldn't conduct ourselves this way and when we do there's disastrous consequences so then you're humbling yourself you know i'm having to learn some of these same lessons that i'm trying to teach you mm-hmm. that's a big part of being a blessed father is not just say, hey, I'm in authority here. You got to do what I tell you to do. This right. is what the Word of God says. And you come down like a hammer blow. You got to meekly, humbly, gently, tenderly lead with boldness and courage, you know, as a father. Now, yes, yes, you have the final authority to protect them and so forth. Children already know we fathers are, <laughs> they already know we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. They could point it out to us in many ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the last couple of notes that I had on this, talking about God's Word, a reference to 1 Peter one twenty three, which 23 and 24 is, or it's a, it's a quote from Isaiah, but since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of, imperish, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, that living and abiding Word of God goes back to the core. Mm. Um, mm. And the note that I had taken, which... I think sums it up well. If I if I build my life on the voices in my head or of what's in our culture, then I do I become like that flower in the desert. But if I build my life on the word of God, hmm. then it will endure. And mm-hmm. so religion is religion in itself is just us carrying our gods. The gospel is God carrying us and the gospel is revealed through the Bible. Amen. Amen. Corruptible and incorruptible. As we look at our world today, and I would say especially our nation, the United States, and the corruption that we see all around us, the only answer for that is the incorruptible Word of God. How did we get to where we are with the corruption? Well, there's a departure from truth, and the truth is found in incorruptible seed incorruptible seed, eternal word of God. The Bible has stood the test of time. It has been under attack for century after century after century after century and still stands. The Bible stands as eternal truth and will always stand. And so for anybody to be brought out of the corruption of the world and the vanity of the the misery, like we said, God's greatness in the midst of our misery, We've got to turn to the Word of God. We've got to believe the Word of God. That's the only place that you find truth without error. Mm-hmm. I want to make a point here, David, and then we'll go on to maybe our next point. One of the things I think is so important, whether it's children 
or adults is the Bible talks about, and I'm speaking here to this corruption. And in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, watch out as far as companions, because the wrong types of companions in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 33, they corrupt good morals. So how do you know if you're spending time with the right, now I'm not talking about people you intersect with as far as your job situation, that can't be avoided. I'm talking about people you choose to spend a lot of time with. You have to be careful with that uh, because it does influence you Mm -hmm. and it can influence you in a very negative way. Well, how do you know the right kind of people? Well, there's two things you want to spend time with people that do they ever talk about the word of God? And do they ever talk about Jesus Christ? Because of this whole podcast we've been talking about, that's the only place where you find truth. Mm-hmm. That's the only place where you find purpose. That's the only place where you find reality. So blessed is the man that walketh not, Psalms chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea. It's so important to have companions or friends. And you can talk maybe to your small group, yeah. Uh, every man needs a small group mm-hmm. of godly companions to fight this battle of faith with as a father. Mm-hmm. Speak to that, David. Sure. I think men, maybe more than women, struggle with, at least in the day and age we're in, struggle with wanting to be transparent and opening up mm. because it feels so risky. It feels so easy to then be either told you're not enough or well you know that's that's what you really think that's you know that's not very good or to be rejected and so you the idea of being strong and i will just i'll keep to myself i won't let people in it sounds sounds safer Mm -hmm. right i've been very blessed and very grateful to be part of a a small group of guys There's, there's six of us that we've been doing life for I've known some longer than others, but at least a solid five or six years together now and and have walked through various things together, whether it is a series trying to address like pornography and lust that we've tackled as a group, whether it is going through book studies together. One of the books that I brought with me that, that Aaron recommended is called The Intentional Father, Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. We've gone through a lot of content together. But ultimately, the goal of that content, I think, is not just so that we know more. But you have to spend time with people. Mm-hmm. And you have to be willing to let your heart be seen. And, and that requires you talking. requires you being willing to, to open up and say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I went through. This is where my marriage is at. This is what I'm struggling at today with work. But the value, the comfort that comes through the Bible is always personal. Jesus being the best example. Mm. Jesus himself came. He didn't just shout from heaven. Mm. All you have to do is believe on me and you'll mm. be saved. Mm. He himself came mm. personally Amen. into our world, Amen. lived, died. And so that, I mean, that's the example for how the body of Christ is like that. It, it takes its, its community. It yes. is not just my relationship with the Lord yes. where I just go through life trying to figure things out. The design for the body is uh, we rely on each other. Mm-hmm. We need each other. So yeah, my, my encouragement to certainly young men or all fathers is find someone that you can do that with. Mm-hmm. One who is willing and wanting to engage in the real conversations of, hey, here's what me and my wife are fighting about. Or, hey, I can't figure out what to do with this kid. Something about this personality. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know how to through bounce that off of them. Let them listen. In an ideal world, I guess, there would be a mix of age groups there to where you can get wisdom and perspective from yeah, older, wiser people who have gone through that. Our group is all, it's, it's a peer group. It's a friend group. We've been, we've been very blessed by that. I'm extremely thankful for that. I mm-hmm. don't know whether that's talking about work struggles, whether that is different guys at different points have pushed the group in different ways. And so those up to my motivation, there's times where that's run out. But thankfully, there's someone else who said, here's what I'm doing right now, and he lifts everyone else up. And then another time, it's someone else. The rest of us are discouraged, and one person takes the initiative and lead. And so when you have that group that you can rely on, yeah, you're you're not alone. I mean, I think that's probably the best way to summarize it. You're not having Mm -hmm. to go through all of this and just figure it out on your own. So, yeah. 
believers go to church. We mm-hmm. gather in Christ's name. We have a time of worship. We have a time of fellowship. But we need small group interaction with other believers on a regular basis. The Lord Jesus ministered thousands right. of people. And everywhere he went every day, he had lots of people around him. But he also made sure there was a priority of a small group of men right. that he uh, spent time with. And he discipled them in more intensive ways. And it was like sharpening them, holding them accountable. Every time you turn around, the Lord's pointing out something going on in their life mm-hmm. you know, that's not appropriate. And they're learning not just from a sermon. They're learning from that one-to-one group, small group accountability, how to work out these things that are not functioning properly in mm-hmm. their lives. The small group fellowship, iron sharp, I call it iron sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. You know, in Proverbs it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mm. Well, you're not going to tell somebody the truth about how you really see something unless you're close to them, you're spending time with them you know, on a regular basis, basis more intensively. So you've got to have that uh, camaraderie of a healthy fellowship together that we love each other and we're striving together for the gospel's sake. Mm-hmm. And there's accountability, like you've already said, built into it. I would encourage any man that is not involved in some kind of a small group gathering with other men in my ministry as a pastor in four different churches, I always had meetings with smaller meetings with men and a purposely intentional uh, because it's not enough just to hear a sermon. You got to be able to speak from your heart where your struggles are and hear from other men's heart where their struggles are and get the wisdom. It says in the Bible, there's safety in the multitude of counselors. So you need other men that can point out to you some blind spots. You may have blind spots in your life you don't recognize, but other men that you meet with that you know care about you and you love each other, they can point them out to you at the proper time. Each man point each other to the scripture. So it's very, when the Lord wanted to prepare the founding of his church to continue when he went back to heaven after his resurrection, it was not in the multitudes. Mm -hmm. It was in that small core that he discipled. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were the, it tells us in Ephesians, that's how the foundation of the church was started. So, And that's encouraging because none of those disciples were worth very much, <laughs> at least when they were called. True, you know very that? true. And yet that is the, the foundation mm. of the church that mm. we're, we're now a part of today, thousands of years later. So yeah. that is, yeah. Common, ordinary, everyday, Sinful, and, broken, yeah. right? One day the Lord spoke to me, and he said, how do you picture those men, those apostles? Right. You know, I've, I've always kind of pictured them up on a higher plane. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, the men that you spend time with, those apostles were ordinary men. Mm-hmm. They were ordinary men. And you can see it in the Gospels, because every time you turn around there, Right. You know, having to be corrected. <laughs> Fighting over who's the greatest. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right, so let's go on to the third point, God's confidence suffering. What's your thoughts there, David? If you take a step back to, to get to this point, Isaiah 40 talks about comfort, comfort your people. Why is there even a need for comfort? Well, his people are enslaved right now. Mm. They're in the midst of suffering. Mm-hmm. They're captive. In verse, I think it's verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So he's saying, comfort, comfort my people, and then he's immediately talking about their warfare, their sin. That doesn't sound extremely comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, the word tenderly there talks about addressing their whole being, talk talk to their core, their mm-hmm. hearts, mm-hmm. what they love, what they hate, what they fear. Mm-hmm. So one of the takeaways that I had from this series, acknowledging God in my pain and suffering is important to do. Mm. If we run into hard things and we try to say God didn't have a part of that, almost trying to protect God. Mm. Like, surely God mm. didn't mm. allow this to happen. This is too much. Mm. And, and I'm not speaking out of personal experience right now. Like, I don't have a lot of, 
hard things mm-hmm. or, you know, extremely major things where I'm saying, like, I can't believe God let this happen. But in just in general, like, if we try to protect protect God mm-hmm. from that and say mm-hmm. God wouldn't allow this, then we make God small. Mm. Like, are we saying God doesn't have control over everything? Are we saying that the suffering around us is not completely within his ability mm-hmm. to control? And so we may not understand why it's all there. I certainly don't understand why it's all there. But when we shrink God, then we're shrinking what we are we're shrinking who he is, and a smaller God provides less comfort, whereas a large God mm-hmm. who has bigger plans above mm-hmm. everything, we may not understand exactly what's happening, but mm-hmm. that is a God that we can look to for total mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like <laughs> your phrase here, designed discomfort, purposeful right. discomfort. It's factored in by God because he knows what's going to help you. Right. It's what's going to help you get to where you need to be. Yeah, yeah. There's some more thoughts on this, talking through, like, why why is comfort so hard for us? Like, at times, it's like we see that comfort that's there, but it's easier not to accept it. It's almost easier to say, and and so I had some some notes here that I'll Mm, just sort of go through. That's good. What would keep us from from wanting to accept it? Here's a couple things. Um, sometimes it's safer to have thorns and be prickly and keep people at a distance because you don't have to let them in. Deal with it. Mm. Um, life is hard, so it's easy to be reasonable or unreasonable. It's easy to mm-hmm. say to be irritable, and it can certainly be less disappointing if you're not trying to be happy. If you're not trying to experience this comfort that God's talking about, then you don't have joy to lose because <laughs> you don't have joy. Gotcha. Um, so a couple thoughts. I was sharing this at our family vacation time. I'll share it again now. Some of where this led me to, and I, I mentioned this this program I'm going through called, called Regen. The idea is I need to dig into to, to whatever my root issues are that are causing dissatisfaction for me or lack of purpose or sometimes I mean lack of closeness to God feeling like Mm -hmm. God is distant and not necessarily understanding why there has been nothing easy or fun about showing up on a weekly basis and working through content that is the whole design and goal of it is to expose the idols that's in my heart and to like dig through memories, dig through situations in the past, dig through patterns of sin that either were known or unknown and try to bring those to light. I haven't finished this 12-month program yet, so like I'm, I'm at a stage now where we're, we're talking about how to intentionally turn from that and move towards following God. But the value in that that I see for myself is it's easy to, I guess, to only want to attribute the positive things to God and like God is big enough to handle our mm. pain and our suffering mm. and he has a plan and purpose for it. And it, it may be something that we understand in this life. It may not be something that we understand until right. we're in heaven and he explains it to us. Right. But life is hard. Mm. And so if we look at the struggle and trouble we're in and we just attribute that to the world and are not willing to say like, God, why am I suffering? Like What's the use in this? I know you have a plan. I don't understand it. But if we can't, if we're not willing to attribute that to God having an ultimate plan and desire to use that in us, whether that is part of the sanctification process or whether that's just something really bad that happened, and we have no idea how God's going to use it, we may never find out. God is big enough to handle that, and we can we can trust that to Him and leave Mm -hmm. that with Him, Mm -hmm. rather than trying to separate that aspect of our life from God and say. I don't know why this happened, but mm-hmm. God wasn't a part of that. That's um, true. And I think I think that's called out clearly here on Isaiah 40, where he's I talked about that already, speaking to their warfare, speaking to their that their iniquity is pardoned. I want to read this Corey Ten Boom poem. It ties in with the point you have made here about understanding the purpose of the suffering or the affliction or the trial. Okay. And we may not understand it in this life. Uh, sometimes we do understand it as time goes on and we, we begin to discover God's goodness in what he's allowed, but not always. And Corey Ten Boom wrote this, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. 
he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I see the under side. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. God gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. The title of this poem is called The Tapestry. And okay. it's, it's always meant a lot to me, and it speaks to what you're talking about as far as in eternity, we're going to discover uh, a lot greater understanding of the blessings of uh, what God allowed in our life. Whereas in the temple, short time of life you got in this world, we may not always understand it all. Mm-hmm. So I want to t- say something here about purpose in life. Two things I've learned that has helped me tremendously over the years in the suffering and that is my purpose in life is two things. I first learned this at Columbia Bible College. It's now Columbia University in Columbia, South Carolina. Their motto when I was a student there was to know Christ and to make Christ known. And that has helped me tremendously in my journey and walk with God. When Trials, afflictions, sufferings, adversity, problems, pressures, difficulties, call it what you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, the pressures. I remember in Philippians 1, Paul says, for to me to live, the whole purpose of my existence, for to me to live is Christ. So when these adversities come, I ask myself, how can this help me to know Christ better? If I can understand how this will help me know Christ better, it's going to work out God's purpose for my life, and I'm going to see the blessing of it. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, how can this uh, adversity enable me to make Christ known to others? If I can see that, it's going to help me to give thanks to God, give praise to God. I had a car situation, which you're very much aware of, that went on for a year, right. and it was a very painful trial. But I had lots of opportunities to make Christ known through that. And it was because I said, God, this is all your plan for my life. And whatever you're doing here, the most important thing is for me to become like Christ and for me to make Christ known. That's helped me tremendously Mm. over the years as to purpose in life and, Mm -hmm. and, and all the adversities of life. And so Paul said in Philippians 1, when he was put in prison, unjustly he said the things that have happened to me have fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel the same chapter where he said for to me to live is christ to know christ the same chapter he said the circumstances of my life even when i've been unjustly treated is an opportunity to make christ known Mm -hmm. so those two things i think are very helpful yeah to, to keep in mind the quote that i had here from the sermon series, God's commissioning voices to speak to their hearts about their suffering, acknowledging it. Yes, you've suffered. And about their sin, yes, you've sinned. But I've sent my son to bear your suffering and your sin so that I can provide true comfort. So going back to the gospel, like ultimately suffering, sin, we're not going to find a solution in this world That's right. outside of Jesus. That's right. Um, and I think the, the comfort that it's described in this chapter is fulfilled or maybe described in the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lonely heart and you will find rest for your souls. We're all carrying a yoke. Mm. We, can, we can let that yoke be defined by our past by the suffering either we've experienced or the sin we've committed or been committed to us, or we can turn from that, work through that, acknowledge that that happened, yes, but that there's a purpose in it, and God can still be glorified and will be glorified, Mm. uh, and instead take a yoke that's easy 
there's nothing easy in this world. The yoke that we would take if we just went the world's way mm-hmm. is devastating mm-hmm. because it doesn't fulfill you. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. So one final thought before we close out this podcast. We were talking about God's comfort and worship. And I mentioned in chapter 40, verse 9, it says, Behold your God. We try to change. We know we need to change. We know there's problems and issues that we have. We want to overcome them. And whether we're a believer or not a believer, we all need there's improvement needed in our life because of failures and shortcomings. And as David Wells said, the only answer for any uh, failures or shortcomings is to believe on Jesus Christ and understand that God sent him into this world to save us when we cannot save ourselves from these failures and our sin. So we trust, and if, if God's speaking to anyone about uh, your need to receive Jesus Christ and acknowledge your sin to him and believe that he died and rose again from the dead so that you could be forgiven of your sin and receive deliverance from your sin by his life uh, coming to live inside of you and live through you. We, we would encourage you to pray that prayer to, to, to receive him. And look at John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To as many as receive Christ, he gives you the authority to become a child of God and be born again into the family of God. But the final thought I want to talk about as far as change is we can't try hard to change ourselves and do it. We talked about worship and how important it is, and I want to read what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.16. It talks about we God changes us as we with unveiled face, as New Testament believers who have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, and we behold our God through Christ's redemption and Christ making it possible for us to come boldly to the throne of God, it says, as we with unveiled face behold him, he changes us from one degree of glory to another. Mm -hmm. So one key element, if not the key element, of us moving forward is worship, mm-hmm. you know, and keeping worship ever at the center of everything we do. What What's your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I think going back to what you said about behold your God, that, that, that being the key verse, um, if you look at, and these, these are just some of the notes that I had taken, um, if you look back to verses 12 through 14, it talks about how God is basically massive. Mm. He's really big. And then the, the following verses, us being really small, the idea there is perspective. It's not said to try to like downplay and just make us worthless. That's not the idea. The idea is perspective. Look at God, understand his greatness, behold your God. Mm. And that gives me a better perspective of myself. And a parenting side note there, I think mm. what I'm called to do mm is to know my children. Mm, that's good. Watch my children, look at their strengths, observe that, and then help them know themselves. Give them mm. that perspective of, hey, Liam, you're extremely thoughtful. Like you sense the emotions in the room. Mm-hmm. That is a gift. Mm. Help, help, like help him understand who he mm. is. Amen. Amen. So that he doesn't have to try to figure that out later in life and figure out like, mm. how did God make it? He was made in God's image. So how do I help call out the things that I see that God designed in each of my kids? And so that's, I guess, just a practical practical yeah. application yeah, as a parent. Give them the confidence and security in who they are rather than them being forced to discover it in a more mm-hmm. unforgiving environment like the workplace yes. or a school setting. Yes, yes. Or, um, yes, that's good. Yeah, friendship with, with other people. So, yeah. Yeah. Proverbs says the glory of children are fathers and sons and daughters need affirmation from dad. Mm-hmm. And David just gave a great il- illustration of how to do it. When you see a character quality in your child's life and you affirm them for it. And then, uh, you know, everybody gets excited about it because, hey, you know, uh, if dad's, if that's what pleases dad, I want to try to live that character quality too. 
Hmm. So it has a snowball effect with the rest of the sons and daughters. And, uh, you know, we're, we as dads are usually good on seeing the stuff that is not right, right. in their life. Yeah. Person in authority is, has a responsibility, yes, to discipline or punish those who do evil. But also in the scripture it says a person in authority has a responsibility on the other side to praise those mm. who do well. And fathers have a hard time with that. They're usually better on the negative seeing the faults. Mm -hmm. And you just illustrated a great way to give praise and affirmation. And, and children need it desperately. Mm -hmm. They need it desperately from their dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So David, uh, it was good to have this podcast with you. And uh, I, I praise God for the opportunity to do it with you. And you have any final word before we conclude? No, thanks for the opportunity. I know we've been talking about this for weeks, months at this yep. point. So, yep. yeah, yep. thanks for having me on. Okay. Well, God bless everyone who is listening today. And may the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, open your understanding to not just what we have said from his word, but as I said, read Isaiah 40 for yourself. There's a lot in there the Holy Spirit can uh, speak to you directly that we may not have touched upon.